Oh, I haven't been up here in a while, and so it's been a month since I've been with you, so I'm a little freaky today. Sorry, uh, it's all good. I, I've missed you. I've missed being here. Um, I have uh, not preached here for the last uh, three weeks. Um, I've actually preached in the meantime in one church and um, taken some time off. Uh, I'm this whole... Uh, month now of July and a little bit into August, we'll be busy with some stuff, and then I'm going to take a little bit of vacation in in August. But um, I miss being here, and when I'm not here sharing God's word, what I believe is God's task for me, I miss that, and um, it's good to be with you today. So I decided that we were going to start with a humdinger today. Um, so we're hitting adultery. Yeah, let's go. Um, we're going to talk about sexuality today because God's Word talks about sexuality, and since we're discovering more about the rules of the road, then we need to spend some time with that. By the way, um, I appreciate the moral message. I was just noticing that, that, that this morning. On this sign, keep right. I think that's a good moral message for the sign, but I think just for equal time, we should have a keep left and I know that there's a moral message there of keep right, but I mean, politically, Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat, so for equal time, maybe Bill, I don't know, maybe I'll put together something for a keep left sign too, just so we're fair. Um, but we are, we are discovering the rules of the road through, uh, oh, I know, I'm not going to go there. Um, Rules of the road as God's word gives it to us in the Ten Commandments. We're reading from uh, Exodus chapter 20, one of the places in the text we re- where we receive the Ten Commandments. And again this morning we will read all ten. Obviously we will be highlighting those five words that are the Sixth Commandment. So, Seventh Commandment, sorry about that. Let's pray as we spend time in God's Word together. God, you have given us your Word to be a light to our lives, an encouragement, a challenge. And Father, we know that this is um, a particular commandment that has um, a lot of impact in our world. Uh, And it's not simply in marriages, it's in uh, just, Father, how we approach purity, what it means to be pure before holy God and to worship you with our sexuality. We pray, Father, for your wisdom and discernment as we walk through this today. Father, may your spirit guide my words and our hearts as we learn more about the calling of your spirit through the work of Jesus Christ um, that, that lives in us and changes us into new things. And because we are new things, Father, we can live new life. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. From God's word, Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children For the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would encourage you, if you don't have, if you've been looking off the screen at your Bibles or at at the verses on the screen, maybe grab a Bible and just keep it open in front of you. There's especially a text in Leviticus that I would like us to look at too this morning so we can jump back and forth. Um, 
if we're going to talk about adultery, obviously we need to talk about sex. And um, it's always interesting when I um, begin to broach the subject of sexuality with people, um, there's always sort of on some level this response of, I can't believe I'm talking with my pastor about sex. Um, And sometimes I can't believe it either. (laughs) But what I do know is this. I do know that oftentimes especially when it comes to sexuality, in terms of helping us understand more about what it means to be sexual beings in the world that we lived in, live in, that the church really, in some senses, has said one thing. Don't. Don't have sex when? What's the phrase go? Don't have sex until you're married, okay? And it's an appropriate, appropriate thing for the church to say. And so we tell our young people. We have Nick tell our young people. We tell our children. And we use that refrain, don't have sex until you're married. It's appropriate for us to say that. But the problem is that we don't go further in discussing it, oftentimes in our community. We say to our children in many ways, sex before marriage, bad, 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 bad. Put a ring on your finger, good, 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 good. But in the meantime, we haven't grown deeper in our understanding of this gift that sexuality is so that oftentimes when people finally do get married and can participate in the good God has given them, they're not well equipped to understand more about this gift that God has given them and it provides for some challenges. And even because we have used that refrain over and over and over again, don't have sex until you're married, we have not often helped young people or single people or divorced people or um, widowed people in understanding now how do I live as a sexual creature but I'm not in that place where I'm married and it's good. Is my sexuality right now bad, 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 bad? You see what I'm saying? We need to talk about and have a deeper understanding of sexuality as, and this is important, hear me here, a good gift of God. Sexuality is a good gift of God. And I know that there are some of you who are hearing that, who that throws one of your gears off a little bit. Because things have happened in your history with sexuality. Things like abuse, things like adultery, things like your own addictions, perhaps to something like pornography, maybe an emotional engagement that pushed you or moved you towards something that was inappropriate. So for you, maybe, you know, even for me on some levels, there can be a time when I hear that phrase, sex is good, a good gift of God, and I want to use the word But, but, there's this. But, there's that. Now, it's clear from the commandment, not only the commandment, but the text, that sexuality is an important part of God's discussion with His people. He has directives for them. He has understandings for them because he understands just how difficult it is to live in the world with sexuality and the world's view of it impacting this view that we are supposed to have as followers of God or as the Israelites, followers of God. They were surrounded by cultures that viewed sexuality in a very different form or fashion. Things like temple prostitution, 
Obviously, even in the time of the Old Testament, we get a person like Abraham who had more than one wife. Abraham was a man of God. And yet, he is participating in something, in part because of the culture that surrounded him, that for us is actually an illegal activity, right? Bigamy is prosecutable by law in this country. Not only something that's prosecutable by law in this country, but if suddenly one of our members were to take another wife or another husband beyond, beyond the one that they already have, how would we feel about it? Not so great. In fact, I can guarantee you there would be meetings with me and the elders and dealing with that particular, what we would even call sin. And in the culture of Israel, they're surrounded by some of these things. And some of these things are even in the culture of the Jews. And so God, in His commandments, and not just the commandment of Exodus 20, the five words, they shall not commit adultery, but also in other places, He is directing them and giving them an understanding about sexuality that says, hey, guess what, folks? This is important. And I want you to understand this in a certain form form of fashion. Because if you don't, sexuality has enough power to take you away from me. And the people in the cultures that are surrounding you are people who because of the participation that they have in sins of sexuality do not have a relationship with me. In fact, their view of sexuality And their practice of it makes them detestable to me. God isn't just saying to Israel in this commandment, don't do this because it's bad. He's telling them much more. Now, we don't see that just in this commandment, but we do see it in a full text of Scripture. So we need to start to dig into some other places. Turn over in your text to Leviticus 18. It's a full chapter. If you look at Leviticus 18, you're going to see all of these directives about unlawful sexual relation. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things in there about incest. There's a lot of things in there about what's appropriate relationship and what's not an appropriate relationship. There is a verse in there about viewing, um, you know, if you view lying with a woman as lying with a man, homosexual behavior, that that is detestable. And you can look at all those laws and it'll give you directives. As far as I understand it, I'm not in disobedience of any one of those verses, those laws. And I don't think, unless I'm wrong, that any of you are either. But there is the verses in there, 24 through 28, that give us a deeper understanding of why God says these things. Those verses say this, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants." But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. So we can see very clearly there That God is saying, guess what? This is important and it even has consequences if you do not obey my decrees and my laws. But since we're Reformed Christians and we don't just view one verse of the text and say, okay, that's the end of the story there, we also need to go somewhere else. Because In this particular verse, we even get a more full understanding of just how much this matters to God. And obviously, Nick gave us a little foreshadow of that when he talked to us last week. We need to go to the second giving of the law. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. 
verse 27. And there you see this. Jesus speaking to a group of people just outside of the town of Capernaum in Galilee, a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He says this to them. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and let's even include in there a man lustfully, has already committed adultery with her or with him in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So if we're looking at the full text of Scripture, the scope of the commandment, do not commit adultery, is not just in this phrase, if I have not uh, laid with another person's spouse, if I have not had sex with another person's spouse, then I have not violated the commandment. Jesus here is making this commandment enormous much deeper in its scope and our understanding. And if we go into Leviticus and what it says in verses 24 through 28, what are the consequences of that sort of defilement? That the land vomits you out. And that God Himself judges you. You are dirty. And dirty things cannot be in the presence of of a holy God. Thus all the cleanliness laws of Leviticus and of Deuteronomy. If you were dirty, you had to go through a whole series of activities in order to be clean. So really, if we understand this commandment for Israel, especially New Testament, the New Testament people, then we understand that it's not just about the action of committing adultery. It's much more about the heart. Adultery on its fundamental level is not about genitalia. Adultery on its fundamental level is about hearts that are engaging in relationships that make them dirty. So pornography is adultery. Taking an extra look is adultery. Thinking an extra thought about that man who meets your emotional needs is adultery. And adultery defiles us and makes us dirty. And you know me, and I really do not want you to sit in your pew and think, oh, I am horrible. But I do want us to get to the point of understanding that this commandment is much deeper than simply just the action of sleeping with another spouse, another person's spouse. It's much deeper than that. We need to spend some time in our hearts in making themselves dirty, an adulterer wounds marriages, wounds families. They wound themselves. They even wound the nation and the land. God's Word makes it clear there. But there's more to it than even that. There's more to it than even that. So, for us then in the world that we live in? How is our world doing with sexuality? Oh, we're doing quite fine, thank you. We live in a world that right now, I think last time I saw the statistics, it was at least half of the internet is consumed by some sort of pornographic site. So if you think about how big the internet is that you and I know, half of that is consumed by adulterous sites. We see things on television, obviously, that continue to progress in terms of a cavalier, casual attitude towards sexuality. But see, that's not what scares me. What scares me is what goes on in here. 
in me, in us, in the church. Because what happens is there is much more of the world stuff that begins to consume our attitudes, our activities, our thoughts about sexuality. We start to take on the goals in sexuality that the world has, not what God has. And that's problematic. We start to think that the activities that we should engage in in our marriage mirror those that the world might participate in. Well, because we've said, right? We've said it in church. We said that sex in marriage is what? Good. So then the idea oftentimes is, well, then anything goes. And since anything goes, then since I'm doing this within a marriage relationship, then I can do whatever it is that I can think of or imagine or maybe what the world exposes me to. But the problem even is there that when that happens even, it becomes one of those things that gets its hooks in us and can hurt our relationship, can hurt Not only our relationship with our spouse, but can hurt our relationship with God. How many of you, and please do not put up your hands, probably not a good idea. How many of you have had struggles in sexuality in your marriage relationship because you've had different ideas about what makes quote-unquote good sex? It's a challenging discussion in many marriages. If I really spent time just going after some of the marriages in church, I could fill up my counseling schedule in my office in a moment just with much of the sexual dysfunction within the church. And I'm not talking about mechanics. I'm talking about a spiritual connection, a relational connection, an emotional connection because of differing values that are oftentimes tinged by what the world has. This is important stuff for us to wonder about. Because I don't know about you, my marriage to Kristen is the most important relationship I have in this world besides my relationship with Jesus Christ. And when there are challenges there because of... uh, uh, the challenges of how we view sexuality, that affects me much more than if you're upset with me. You can be angry with me, and I might even care less. But if Kristen is angry with me, my world changes in a moment. And the problem that we have is that in many of our folks' lives, in much of the church's life, this is a constant challenge. And you know this. You know in your own relationships the same argument that you've had. How many times now? How many times have you had it? Hundreds maybe? John and Jean have been married for 65 years. I can't imagine how many times you've had some of those discussions and challenges and arguments. And I know that's freaking some of you Wagner kids and grandkids out. (laughs) But the reality of it is that this sexuality thing it's a deep thing in us we are sexual creatures one of our fundamental differentiations is are you a man or are you a woman that is a claim an identity of sexuality and so since it is such a fundamental thing it has a fundamental effect, not only upon us in the world that we live in, but most importantly so, in our interaction even with God. So we need to do some work here. Spend some time wondering about it. Now, here's the thing. I know that there's some of you out there who will say when it comes to the sexual issues of our culture, those are man's things. And by that I'm talking about gender. Pornography is predominantly participated in by men. There aren't that many male strip clubs. 
there is a whole lot of them for women who are stripping, unfortunately. But the problem is, is we're not even just talking about that. Why are there so many romance novels at Barnes & Noble? Why are there so many quote-unquote chick flicks that get like consumed by women? I don't even want to talk about The Notebook. I know how many people bawled their eyes out at The Notebook because it connected with them on a deeper level. Guess what? There are times when that is a almost romantic pornography. You know why? Because then you're not just talking about, uh, I don't know, a, a sexual activity. You are talking about an emotional activity. Folks, be very cautious because what did I say? Adultery is fundamentally about what part of your body? If you are connecting with something on an emotional level in an intimate fashion, guess what? You've gone there. You've gone there. It's one of the reasons why oftentimes women will not participate in physical affairs, but they definitely participate in emotional ones. And the world says that's okay. Why? Because it says you need to have your needs met. And if that is a physical need for the activity of sex, then pursue getting your needs met. And if it is a relational, emotional one, then do what you can do to get your needs met met and the world just throws another hook in gives a little tug and you know what's funny I don't know how many conversations that I've had around this I've had tons too many but I can tell you this there's never been a person that I ever met who sat in my office or I've sat across a table from, who said to me, I woke up today and decided to commit adultery. It was one hook. Tug. Tug. And another little hook. Tug. And all of a sudden, standing here in obedience, being faithful to their spouse and faithful to God with their sexuality, they are in some other world completely and it's been a step of degrees. And there are some of us here who are in this spot. God be praised. And if you got hooks in you, they're small and you're dealing with them. And there's other folks who are right here getting pulled. And there are other folks who are over here getting pulled. They're close. They're over there where that thing is that they know the line is crossed and there's others who are way over here and in many ways gone they're gone in the sin for us to wonder together about what it is that makes us holy and keeps us in this space not just for our sake because this is what I meant before when I said there's so much more here. But for God's sake and our relationship with Him. Remember what I said. Sex is what kind of gift from God? It's a good one. So if it's a good one, then that means when it is used as good, it's something that brings intimacy, joy. It brings our ourselves closer with God. It's a good gift. And because it's a good gift, there's a way for us to participate in it that 
allows us to worship God. See, I've dealt with all the stuff this so far, and I know there are some of you who are sitting here with your stomachs going crazy and your heart broken because you know where you are. But I'm sitting here now telling you, but there's a positive side. There's the best side. And the best side is that over here, since it's a good gift, the commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. It also says, just by us thinking about it, guess what you can do? Enjoy the sexuality that I've given you as a good gift of God. And I'm not even standing here saying to you, and the only way that we can talk about that is, don't have sex until you're married. There's a whole lot more to say. And that's important. Because since this is such a fundamental thing, we need to wonder about it. Because when we do, there's joy and there's life. And where there's despair right now in sin and the conviction of what it is that you have done to break relationship, so much so there's joy in what it is that we can do to restore and build relationship with our spouse, with our future spouse, with our former spouse even, with God. When God gives his word to Israel about sexuality, he's not only, to, he's not only speaking to them about human interaction. He's giving them a glimpse into how he sees his relationship with them. By saying to them, you shall not commit adultery, he's almost in many ways reiterating the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I know that we understand the second table. There's two tables to the commandment. The first is our interaction with God. I can't believe I'm doing this. Vertical and there is our interaction with humanity, horizontal. God is there, humanity is around us, horizontal. But this one especially, I mean all of them to some levels, but this one especially has some real resonations with God saying to his people, I am God, listen to me, follow me only. Love me only, and in loving me only, I will give to you good gifts that will impact how you love, especially when you love a spouse. And because I give you that gift of loving a spouse, if that is a gift that you have been given, within that understanding of loving your spouse faithfully, you gain what? A much deeper understanding then of what it means to love me. You have no other closer relationship within this life, or you certainly shouldn't, than your relationship with your spouse. And because of that, there is an example, an echo, a slice, a sliver of what it means to be in a deep, intimate, personal relationship with one that God has for you. And that echo gives you and I just a glimpse of how much God wants to be in a love relationship with us. When he says to us, thou shalt not commit adultery, he is saying to us, I am giving you something that's a gift because it helps you see more of what our relationship is like. Take care of it because as you take care of it, move towards it. Honor it. Have the joy and the life of obedience within it. You're going to learn just a little bit more about what it means for you and I to live together in a loving, intimate, personal relationship. Because, and I, I, I don't mean to be making you uncomfortable, but I'm close to Kristen because we're in a sexual relationship. There's a lot of other reasons, but that's one of them. 
but I say the words regularly, but I'm closer with God. Just think about that for a moment. What activity brings Kristen and I close? It's an intimate, unique act. But I'm closer to God. God's closer to me than that. So when I don't treat that with dignity, I'm missing out. And believe me, I love sharing that gift with Kristen. It's, it's, it's a beautiful gift. And it's a beautiful gift because it brings joy and life to our relationship. But how much joy am I missing with God if I'm messing with it? I know how much joy is there. How much more is joy is here? And when I'm missing it, I'm missing out on even greater joy. You know, brothers and sisters, what it means when sexuality is good. I hope. I pray. I pray you do. When it is obedient, when it is God-blessed, when it is beautiful. But that is just a slice and a sliver of what the deeply impersonal enjoyment that we have with God. And when we mess with that, we adulterate, make dirty this. That's why this is an important commandment. That's why there are many laws. And that's why even in the New Testament, what does Jesus say we should do if we're getting messed up by this commandment? Who here is ready to poke their own eye out or cut off their right hand? It's that important. Jesus is God's sign of grace. And even the one who is the grace giver gives what is arguably one of the most powerful statements, images. And yeah, I know it's an image. He's not saying to us to poke our eyes out or cut our hand off. But he is saying, guess what? This is so important that if something is hindering you from being in relationship with me because of this sin, take pretty drastic member, take pretty drastic measures to deal with it because if you don't, it would be better for you to not have those things, those challenges, those sins in your life and to enjoy them in all their perverted fullness. It would be better for you to get rid of those things immediately because those are going to take you to hell. And you certainly don't want that. This is important stuff can't tell I think it's important can you God is saying to Israel I'm your lover I am pure I want you to be pure too purity comes in living and loving together the way I intended live that out with this gift that I gave you, that gift of sex. As you and I nurture and care for our spouse and our intimate relationship with them, we are training ourselves in many forms and fashions to be caregivers, caretakers of what it means to be in a holy, pure, obedient relationship with God. It's a good training ground. And since it's a good training ground, I want to train a lot. Did you miss that? Come on. <laughs> Sorry, I have to lighten things up just a bit. But even more than that, in the New Testament, we get an even bigger glimpse into why God wants His people pure. Look at Revelation 21. Revelation 21. You and I need to understand one thing. Ultimately, the church is something important to God. Some of you I know have thought of this. We say the word that the church is the bride of Christ. But what if I say it perhaps this way? The church is God's mate. Look at your spouse if you have one here this morning. Think of your spouse if they're perhaps not with you this morning. They are your mate. They are made for you. You know them. You would hate, hate 
if they were impure and in some sort of adulterous relationship, it would cut you to the core. And I know that there are some of you in here who have experienced that and you know that pain. The church is God's mate. And the day will come when we together, united as the bride of Christ, the church will be united with God too as a husband fulfills a wife, a, hu- a wife fulfills a husband and makes them more whole than they were before. The church will fulfill that role for Christ. Now theologically, think about that for a little bit of time. That's a big thought. It's a challenging one. It's a grand enormous thought and it can take you into some pretty beautiful challenging but beautiful spaces that's why god wants us to be pure because we're his mate and when there is adultery dirtiness as we said within the mate of god how do you think he feels about his wedding day coming up sometime soon Now, for us, as we live a life of purity, we show God our desire to love Him in holiness. Holiness. Holiness is the opposite of that defilement. And as you and I work not towards just not doing things, not participating in those actions and activities that are adulterous, but instead pursuing those things that are holy within our sexuality, within our relationships, within all of life, we are honoring and giving glory to God for who He is and preparing ourselves for being His mate. And doing this isn't easy. Like I said, sexuality is an identity thing, and it has power. I remember that statistic. Teenage boys think about sexuality about once every four minutes, right? I, I don't think that's wrong. The only thing that I think that's wrong is when does it stop? Because it's not just teenagers. There's power there. It's something that impacts us greatly. And that's part of the gift of God. It's part of the power, part of the beauty. But that means then, since there is power there, we need to recognize that power and submit regularly, daily, over and over again, that power to God's plan and purpose as part of our worship. The power... Because of the power of sex, we need Christ to renew our hearts and our minds no matter what our circumstances. And I understand. Believe me, I've struggled with this this week as I thought about how to prepare this message. There are many of you who are not in marriages where there is... um, a good sexuality. And I'm not just talking about, you know, that, that your marriage is troubled. I'm talking about there's a lot of you who are simply not married. You're single. Well, how do you deal with this? Well, you continue to honor God. You continue within the power of sexuality to daily renew your mind. Maybe you're renewing your mind daily in preparation for that time when God gives you that gift of sexuality in its fullness. Maybe instead you are renewing your mind to worship Him only. Paul makes that clear, that there is definitely those people to whom God has called soul and complete focus. They are not called to be married because that takes them away from Him. They are called to be only worshipers, only focused, only in intimacy with Him. Perhaps that's you and that's what you're renewing your heart and your mind for. And as we respond then to Christ's work of renewal in us, we can then glorify Him by enjoying the gift of sexuality for His glory 
even as an act of worship. And again, I know this is uncomfortable. But when you and your spouse engage in sexuality, in obedience to God's glory, it is worship. Hear me here. That's a beautiful activity of worship to God. And you would be hard-pressed to argue any other point with me. So, then how do we do this? How do we live this stuff out? Well, I think some of that time, some of the time, it starts with a desire to be renewed to God's plan and purpose for your relationship, your marriage. There are many marriages out here right now who need to have a pretty important discussion. Now understand me here. This discussion starts not with how can we have better sex. That's not the discussion. The discussion starter is this. How can we pursue more holiness in our sexuality? How can we pursue obedience to our God's plan for our sexuality? And if that means you need to do some studying, I'm telling you, do some studying. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, my spouse is going to use this now as a weapon. Pastor said it. So they're going to use it so that they can get me to talk about that thing that I really don't want to talk about. I'm telling you right now, this is important stuff. Because when you and I have holiness within our sexuality within marriages, life is truly better. There's no other deeper, more intimate relationship than that between spouses except for our relationship with God. Let's renew our marriage. Let's renew our marriage not by having more sex, perhaps that's it, but better sex. Holy, worshipful, God-glorifying, good. And I say that as a gift of God, good sex. Now, okay, that's for marriages. Some of you need to do work, have some discussions. If you need help having those discussions or getting discussion starters, believe me, we as pastors, we have plenty of things, resources out there that we can share with you, and we would love to do that because this is important stuff. For you who are anticipating marriage, then your work becomes daily renewal, not simply because you want to be holy before God. That's a wonderful place to start. It's where you should start. But even so that you might be holy as you prepare for the person that you will ultimately for a lifetime be holy with. And beyond that, don't sell yourself short. When you get to this space, when you're almost to this place in marriage where you can enjoy the gift of sexuality, you and I need to have important fundamental discussions if there is a space that we're in with the person that we are going to be married to so that we can have an understanding, a deeper understanding of when we get to this space that we want this space to be holy. We often don't even talk about that. We say stuff like, well, do you like sex? Yeah, are you, are you excited about it? Yeah. Well, then everything will be great. Guess what? Almost everyone thinks that beforehand. Do the work in this space so that when you get here, your values are united together with the purpose of bringing God glory. That's for you who are anticipating. And I don't care how old you are. If you are a teenager, that's your work. If you are 65, 70 years old, that's still your work. Finally, those who are anticipating not being married. You have a gift. And I know sometimes you don't always feel it. But that gift is that you can be focused solely and completely on being holy before God and God alone. 
you are not consumed by the passions that a spouse might feel for their lover. Your passions, your love can be solely focused on God. And even your sexuality can be an opportunity for you to give that over to Him and say, Lord... May I give all my passion, my, my desire for that intimate relationship solely and completely to you. Because I know that's a, glimpse, that's a glimpse of it, but I know this is the best. So I'm going to do it. And I'm going to honor you with it. I'm going to worship you with it. Fundamentally, brothers and sisters, sexuality and in its goodness gives us a deeper glimpse of just how much God wants to be close, intimate, in love and loved by us. And as we pursue holiness, as we pursue His desires, His plans and purpose for it, for us, He's glorified, He's worshipped, And you and I experience a freedom in our sexuality that I know there are so many here that they long for. For us to move towards that is opening ourselves up to the freedom of the good gift of God in sexuality. Would you pray with me? We praise you, O living God, for your gift. Father, may we serve you with it. May we be obedient to you with it. And may, Lord, in our obedience, may we enjoy that good gift in all its fullness and understand it is but a glimpse into our relationship, our intimacy, our being united to you in Christ. Lord, may we pursue that. May, Father, may you redeem the marriages in here to have some of those hard discussions. And Lord, may their discussions not be weapons used in order to get what we want. But instead, Father, may our discussions be work in order to get what you want for us. Holiness, obedience, joy, life, freedom. I pray, Father, for those who are stuck in certain places, places of having adulterous relationships on any form, any level. Father, may you convict, but convict not simply with guilt that makes us feel horrible, but with a conviction that moves us towards your transformation, freedom, and life. I pray, Father, that all of us might seek to worship and give you glory understand that this is a good gift in which we can give you praise. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.